The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone. My name is Jake Watroba, and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. On this week's episode of the show, Steven and Armand welcome Joseph Lowry of The Athletic. For segment one, the boys talk all things U.S. men's national team, from Greg Berhalter to names to watch in the January camp. Be on the lookout for segment two, which will be available Tuesday as the impact of the MLS Super Draft is discussed and whether or not youth can win in MLS. Please make sure you follow the show on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. Make sure you subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts and make sure to leave a review for the show. Now, let's get to today's show. Alrighty, fellas. Welcome, welcome. Joseph, it is actually your first time, although we did record a full episode with you, and that went down the toilet because we had technical issues all throughout. So, welcome back, but really welcome. Thank you. It gives me, you know, a second chance at a first impression. So I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Armand, how we doing? I'm just marveling at how cool a Twitter handle is Joe and Cleats. Like, what what a what a great Twitter handle. Like I, you hear like, oh my Twitter handle at Armand is just my name. But Joe and Cleats is just so catchy. I think maybe I should just change my name to, you know, Joe and Cleats. Forget Joseph Lowry. Yeah. Let's just go let's just go for it. Yeah, Honestly, Joe and Cleats. I think you probably should. That's how we refer <laughs> to you uh, on the show when we're texting each other who to get on the show. <laughs> anyway, uh, let, let's talk about this training camp and the U.S. men's national team. And Joseph, I know you had written something about Pulisic going to Chelsea, but give us your take on, on you know, your expectation, what the signing means. Well, I think – at this point, it's a pretty low-risk move for Pulisic, especially because he's not really playing for Dortmund right now. So if he was going to move, and it, it really did seem like he was going to move at the end of the season, it's probably the timing is good. And I think he has the potential to fit pretty well for Chelsea. Uh, he's comfortable basically across the front three like you know, under a striker. Um, so sorry, um, Chelsea's manager doesn't really play with the central attacking midfielder, but he does like to rotate his wingers inside. And so I think Pulisic... He's flexible, he's young, he can be probably molded into you know, the style of attacker that Chelsea wants. So I think if he can find a way to get on the field in the Premier League next season, it, it could work out pretty well for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm just nervous that being 20 years old, being the 27th most expensive player in the history of the sport, third most expensive player under the age of 20, behind stars Bembape and former teammate Dembele at Dortmund, third biggest transfer in Chelsea history. Uh, 
there's some expectations on this young guy. And uh, we, we had Brandon Busby of the London Blue podcast coming on. You know, there, there's some mixed feelings among Chelsea fans. I think the biggest upside to Pulisic is the fact he's only 20. He's 20 and he's American. I think those are the two biggest upsides. I mean, because we've seen Pulisic at his, I don't know if his peak is the right word, but when he's playing uh, consistently, I mean, he puts on good shifts. I mean, we've seen him with the national team at a more central position, but with uh, Dortmund, it's obviously been more of a winger, and he's played very well in you know, some big matches, including some matches in the Champions League. Um, my, my only thing is the price tag, to be quite honest with you. I think that's the thing that is making people kind of, okay, like, is he worth it or is he not? But, I mean, I'm going I'm to keep saying what Busby uh, said in the last podcast. It's not our money, so why should we care? But in terms of in terms of value, I'm not sure if he's worth $73 million at this moment right now. Wait, 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 wait. You have a problem with the amount of money Chelsea played for the player? Now, that sounds familiar. Why? I said that. I said that bef- the final episode of... 2018 i said be careful with the price tag because the price tag is going to dictate the expectations on this youngster exactly and that's it's gonna it's gonna dictate that and figure out wow he's not worth 73 million dollars i think i said at the end of uh our you go listen to our other our last podcast uh segment three um of our pulisic special i said that if he's a consistent starter this is a huge win for pulisic a huge win for u.s soccer but is a consistent starter good enough for $73 million? The thing is, we know the amount of money getting thrown around for players. I mean, it's just inflated. Yeah, and uh, to jump in, I think Pulisic's price tag is going to follow him around. And it's unavoidable at this point. And that's every player, though. So if he becomes a solid Premier League starter, then I don't think we'll really look back at this transfer and say it was too much. But the expectations are going to be high for him. And fans are going to you know, expect certain things from him because they paid $73 million for him. And, and don't forget, Chelsea is going to make a lot of the money back in jersey sales alone. I mean, we know how Ronaldo quickly made up a lot of the, the $100 million that Juventus spent or Paul Pogba when he moved from Juventus to Man United. I mean, jersey sales do a lot. And the marketing ability now for Chelsea Football Club in the United States is endless. The sky's the limit especially around Christian Pulisic, just wait for the the commercials to come out. Now, Pulisic said something really interesting, and I I think this is a statement that I I think should be worth noting. Now, I'm reading from an ESPN article just a couple days ago, and Pulisic doesn't believe the lofty price tag and the bigger spotlight will increase the pressure on him to perform for the national team. He says, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we can put some more pressure on some of the other guys now. I understand my role in the national team. I have to show these guys the way I've been around for a while. Now, guys, what do we make of this quote? Because I think this is an interesting quote. What is he doing with this pressure game here? This quote, actually, I'm not really sure what he's talking about. I mean, I don't disagree, right? I don't think necessarily that this transfer puts any more pressure on Pulisic. He's still the face of the national team, and he has... Again, high expectations. Fans expect a lot from him when he puts on the national team jersey. So I don't think moving from Dortmund, a big club in Europe, to Chelsea, another big club in Europe, really is going to change that too much. Um, maybe with his line about putting pressure on the other guys, do you think? Do you guys think that refers to the younger players, um, maybe being more ambitious, or to some of the older players who 
who have come back domestically and are playing in MLS? I'm not sure. Uh, maybe yeah, he maybe wants them to be more ambitious and and perform at a higher level. Uh, I think Steve and I talked about this uh, a couple of days ago when he pointed out this quote. It's a really, I think it's a really weird quote to you know throw out there, you know, talking about you know, oh, I want, I think we put some more pressure on some of the other guys now. Um, it's such, I, I don't, why, why is that included in there? I feel like it's a really interesting little bit that's kind of like, okay, like, hey, like, there's no pressure on me, but everyone else, they have a lot more pressure to, you know, become better. No, Christian Pulisic, first off, I agree, the pre- the pressure won't increase for him to perform. This guy ca- almost carried the U.S. to a World Cup. That's as much pressure as you can get at this point. I- I'm not sure who he's referring to, Joseph. Like, Stephen, what do you think? I'm, I'm not sure. So... I think there's different ways to take this quote. I wonder if it's his young age and just the lack of leadership right here. I think the proper way of saying this is I don't think the price tag follows me around with the U.S. men's national team. I'm one of 11. We're going to, you know, everybody has their role. We know the failure happened in 2018. There's a new regime coming in. We're going to pick up the pieces and we're going to build momentum going forward. I think that would be in a better statement. The pressure, it's like, Maybe he feels too much pressure and he wants the other guys to feel it. Maybe it's he's calling out the media for not putting enough pressure on other players and he has all the spotlight. Remember, in 2018, when they failed to qualify for the World Cup, I'm sorry, but the media was soft. Bruce Arena took a lot of blame, but at the end of the day, it was about the 90 minutes spent on Trin- in Trinidad and Tobago against a B team and they couldn't get another goal. So maybe it's the pressure on players, especially the ones in MLS. Get your ass to Europe. Yeah, and I actually – I think I'm going slightly against what you were saying there, uh, Stephen, but I don't have a huge problem with the quote. Maybe maybe it could have been phrased a little bit differently. Um, but I think you know we do need more pressure around the national team environment, and this is partly what you were saying, so I do agree with you here, that – the media, you know, we we should be looking at our players and encouraging them and you know prompting them and, and questioning, you know, where they're playing and how they're getting minutes and where those minutes are coming from and the quality of the opponent that they're up against. So I think in a way, I actually kind of do appreciate this quote because I think it's something that needs to be said. And maybe maybe it shouldn't be coming from Polisic, maybe it should be coming from the media, but either way, I think I appreciate the basic sentiment if I'm interpreting it correctly. Do you guys think there's more pressure on players now, though? I feel like maybe not, maybe not as much, but I feel like there is a bit, a little bit more pressure on some of these younger players to leave and not go uh, to uh, to MLS academies and instead, you know, go to um, maybe like the Bundesliga. I think the Bundesliga. We saw Tyler Adams go there, and yeah, but saw, he. Like, he spent time in MLS. I don't think MLS is necessarily the wrong, you know, first step to take. I think if you can get on the field before you're 20 and play regularly, absolutely. Now, if you're a Josh Sargent, yeah, absolutely go to Europe. Well, I mean, he's 18 years old. He already scored a couple of goals. I think Pulisic sees the landscape and being in Europe, I think, has changed his outlook on U.S. soccer a little bit and understanding the importance because he was able to move at 17, a much younger age than you're allowed to because of the dual national, he understands, wait a minute, U.S. soccer here has some problems, and if we can get more people to come to Europe, maybe that's what he's referring to in the pressure of where you're playing, and you know, this is the U.S. men's national team being in Germany, going to London. Now while I understand 
the pressure there is. But at the end of the day, they still play in CONCACAF, right? So the pressures are really only going to come till they start playing in the World Cup. Unless unless there is another Copa America where they're a part of and they're playing the Brazils, the Argentinas, you know, the, the heavyweights of Conable. The The pressure, though, I think it's slowly coming. But again, I do think it is a little soft uh, because we aren't, you know, I, I, some players aren't being pushed. And, I mean, we saw that, you know, with, you know, players like, I guess, Michael Bradley, Josie Altador. Although Altador, I think, is a really interesting situation because he was in a really bad spot at the time. And he came back to Tim in Toronto and kind of, it kind of helped his career a little bit. But, I mean, guys like, may potentially Michael Bradley not pushing themselves and uh, come to Toronto uh, for the big big paycheck. The, the question is, though, if he's talking about the older guys, can you blame the older guys for coming to get a bigger paycheck? No, I don't. I don't think you can blame them exactly. At all. No, no, not at all. I mean, at the end of the day, you play sports to to feed your family. You want the paycheck exactly. to to feed your family and set up your kids for our generations to come in the long term. And remember, when Michael Bradley and Josie Altador came, the landscape of U.S. soccer was still this is significantly different. I don't think people understand U.S. soccer is, is no tomorrow is a different day than it was today. It continues to grow. So I think Michael Bradley and Josie Altador, although Josie Altador is a lot younger than people think he is. I think he's what, 27, 28? Something like that. He's on the right side of 30. I think Michael Bradley's on the wrong side. I, I need to go double check this. These players came to MLS because MLS needed a marketing ploy. They gave him the big paychecks. And for the large part, it worked. Michael Bradley is going down in history for TFC. Why? Because they won the fake treble. So <laughs> it, it worked. <laughs> the fake treble. <laughs> it did. No, it did. And like we all like we all mentioned, can you blame them? I mean, so I guess if you're talking about more of the, the younger players, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I think Pulisic's whispering to some guys, hey, if you have an offer in like Germany, come to Germany. Stuff like that, trying to encourage more people to go to Europe. And I think that's going to be a positive step for the U.S. Miss National Team. Agreed. All righty, so let, let's move on to training camp. And uh, Joseph, uh, we'll throw this out to you first. Names to pay attention in this U.S. Men's training camp. Now, a couple of facts to know. It's a very young age. Burhalter called 28 players, uh, all from MLS. Average age is about 24.5 a couple of older guys are just with more experience Michael Bradley, Jesse Sardes Will Trap. 13 uncapped players 8 whom uh, will experience their first US men's national team camp and then they're going to play a couple friendlies January 27th against Panama and then the following couple of days later February 2nd uh, in San Francisco or the Bay Area against Costa Rica. But guys, a, a lot of new faces, names to pay attention to. Joseph. Um, so I kind of, in my mind, divided the roster up into into a couple of different groups. I think some of the names that I'm trying to pay attention to are guys, I think, who could become more regular contributors. So, you know, starting with Zach Steffen, I think he still is the starting goalkeeper. Um, he has a familiarity with Burhalter, so I'll be keeping my eye on him to see, does he look, you know, more comfortable? Does he look better with his feet? Um, 
under under Berhalter. I'm not sure if that would have any effect, but it'll be interesting to see Stefan. And then just a few other names, uh, Reggie Cannon, Armand's guy, and then Yay. Aaron Long, Kellen Acosta, and Russell Canal. So Cannon at right back, I think I, I'm a big fan of his game personally. And I think he could be a really good fit for the presumed style that maybe we're expecting to see with the U.S. Men's National Team now with Berhalter. And then Aaron Long, maybe he can push... Um, Matt Miazga or John Brooks at center back to become a more regularly played guy. And then Acosta and Canales in midfield, specifically Canales, um, maybe at the six and looking at how he performs. So, Armand, like, what about you? Well, before Armand, sorry, you say Kellen Acosta. Why? I mean, he goes, he makes, I guess, the transfer, the trade from well, Dallas to Colorado. And then he gets called up to the national team. He scores a goal, if I remember, against, was it Columbia? In the the four yeah. the two loss, yeah, yeah, has Kellen He's at the age of twenty three. Is he going? You know, is he getting maxed out here? Like, is he going to be an MLSer for life, or is there still a chance that he makes the move overseas and it's just kind of follow, finding the right team for him? It's. I think Acosta probably is is an MLS player at this point, and I don't necessarily think that that's that's a bad thing. Maybe. It's not quite what we expected of him a couple of years ago, but I've sort of, you know, pieced Acosta and uh, Christian Roldan and maybe even Marquis Delgado a little bit in the same group. And I'm just interested to see how those three guys, and Acosta specifically, function under Burhalter. And so that's a little bit more of a, a curiosity uh, thing for me, less that I think maybe he's on the same uh, profile as some of the other guys I mentioned, but I am still intrigued to see how he performs if he gets on the field my list of players to watch i'm actually going to agree with joseph here kel nacosta was number one on my list and here's why i think he has to prove here that he's a, a that he's basically more of a veteran with the national team he's 23 he's entering an age where you know what you're kind of beginning to creep towards your prime um and remember the expectations for kel nacosta were ridiculously high and now he's with the Rapids, I mean, like we like we talked about, with the Rapids. Is he really a rising star anymore? I, I don't know. Like, I don't think you can consider him a rising star in a lock, especially with many of his guys, you know, going into uh, Europe. Uh, I don't think Kellen Costa is a, a lock for, you know, the, the qualification, maybe for the Gold Cup. But I think he has something to prove. He has to prove, hey, I belong here. I'm the best out of this group. If Acosta isn't the best out of this group, then yikes, because this is a guy who we, we linked to Europe uh, two seasons back, and now he's with the Rapids, and he has to progress at some point. So I, I agree. Kellen Costa is one player that I'd like to watch. Another player I'd be really interested to watch, uh, I, I, I want to see how the two Philadelphia Union uh, homegrowns do, Mark McKenzie and Austin Trusty. Um, they're both relatively young. They both played really well in MLS if if we think about it and they were consistent stars week in and week out. I want to see if one of them can break into the rotation and you know say hey look maybe we're maybe we're better and they can break in and try to get a gold cup spot. Maybe not like a playing spot in the gold cup, but one of those last few spots for some players to gain experience. And then another player I look out for is Christian Ramirez. Uh, a lot of people talked about him playing with the US men's national team and how he he'd help us for I think is the most goals across all American leagues since 2014. You have to fact check me on that one. I just read a tweet a couple months ago that prompted me, prompted me to think that. And 
you know, give some competition to Giassi Zardes. I think the U.S. Men's National Team was lacking some, you know, some good forward play. I think Ramirez would be a welcome sight to see. Jesse Zardes is 27 years old. Just looked that up. He, he's, he's older. Hey, I mean, he has for, some former left, former uh, outside back too. Considering that he went to Columbus, he scored 19 goals. He was fifth or fourth tied in MLS scoring as far as just goals alone. He's familiar with the coach. That has a that has to have a big leg up. Now, my big name I think is has to be Michael Bradley. Just to know what experience he is he bringing and will that translate into the future because we have all these youngsters not only here in MLS especially in Europe I mean you could probably build a starting 11 just based on what's in Europe alone uh Stefan I don't know how you want to count him as still MLS based because he's on loan for for another six seven months before he actually makes the transfer to City but you you have a great squad right now just building in Europe, how's that going to push out some of these MLS players? But Michael Bradley, does he have a future? I think, remember, he still has the stigma of captaining United States to utter failure. And that's not going to leave him. I mean, those boos that ring around MLS lasted for a very long time. I will not forget that. And remember, Ibrahimovic joked around, I don't know, maybe he was very serious about this, how Michael Bradley looks like a philosopher when, you know, he just needs to shut up and play. I, I think <laughs> Michael Bradley, maybe I just can never get over the quote over lions and lambs or whatever it was, Armand. Sheep, sheep. Sheep, lions sheep. and sheep. <laughs> I, I just can't get that out of my mind. And I just wonder if he really has a future. Like I said, he's on the wrong side of 30. And you have all these kids coming up. Why not just build a team that's not going to just play for the Gold Cup, play for 2022? Two, but play for 2026 build it over a period of time and i think michael bradley can easily just be cut out of the picture maybe i've, I've got a question for you guys about yeah, michael bradley I'm, I'm interested do you think the the experience and the potential leadership he provides to this group specifically this group in january camp do you think that's a positive thing or is it a negative thing i i would go positive and you know what and i would even say this if michael bradley what is he he's, is he 32 31 if 31 so what in three years he'll be what 34 35 give or take um i, I would love to see michael bradley in the 2022 world cup squad but not as a starter as someone that you can bring off the bench to help you see out a result to you know provide that leadership you know with 75 with 10 minutes left in the 75 80th minute you need to get a result you bring in the closer michael bradley come in to set up shop and kill the game i would love i would love to see that and I think his experience does help these guys because Michael Bradley, uh, when I talked to Reggie Cannon about his you know, first cap uh, with National he specifically, I think, mentioned Michael Bradley as a guy who gave him experience and you know helped him uh, with, with his transition. I think it's important, especially maybe for a guy like Knaus, who's probably going to be playing the same role as Bradley. Um, you get that leadership. You get that, or, or Will Trapp, who I think has been playing more of a Bradley-esque role under Dave Sarakan. Oh, I mean... That's Dave Sarakan, so you, you can take it with a grain of salt. But these guys, like Michael Bradley has experience in the World Cup. Like, let's not forget this. This guy was really good when he was at Roma. I think his experience does help the team. And like I said, I'd like to see him on a 2022 squad if he doesn't retire. Well, maybe I'm Mr. Negative for the show. But after the Gold Cup, I highly consider him just cutting him out. Just let the young guys grow. 
Let them gel. Let them fail together. Let them grow. But this is a new generation. Burhalter shouldn't really look to the past. He should look to the future. And if, yeah, expectations is to win the gold cup, they're probably guaranteed a final, right? But even if hopefully, they, hopefully, hopefully, but I don't know if, if it's necessarily a bad thing for, for Burhalter to select, you know, an under 26, under 27 squad and be like, this is the team for the future that you're going to watch them, you know, have some growing pains, but it's going to be consistent and you want to have a base where you can sprinkle a couple of new faces every couple year uh, every year that you know come through through the ranks and let them fill in but you want Pulisic to be the next leader Michael Bradley can only hang around so much so I I see your point Armand but I I wonder if the the more you know strategic move is to be like here's you know, here's our next captain. He's going to lead us for the next eight years rather than have the captain armband be just, you know, thrown around from players every couple of years because th- there isn't one true guy. Maybe it's Pulisic. I just don't know if he has that leadership capabilities that, you know, we see. I mean, Messi is a, a real good captain. We know that. I think on Bradley, I'm I'm right in the middle of the two of you trending more towards Stevens. Stevens point i don't see a huge issue with michael bradley being in in camps like this one and maybe maybe even in march when that one rolls around to to provide that leadership that reggie cannon was talking about maybe that individual um assistance and experience you can talk with some guys on the team about you know his time playing whatever whatever that looks like but i'd rather armand was saying you know maybe in 2022 we bring on michael bradley to close out a game i'd rather that guy be tyler adams and i'd rather tyler adams be you know, Starting. Well, what, what, yeah. what, what, I, I would like an Adams to start or something like that. But like, I think the importance of a – sorry to interrupt you, Joseph. No, The importance good. of a, a vet just coming off the bench, I think I think we under – I think it's a little bit understated. Um, we saw Jeff Lorenowitz, guys, play a huge role in Atlanta winning MLS Cup. And I, I, I think it's a little understated because he allowed he, – he just, he just read the game well with his positioning – uh, as I guess he's more of a center back in in that case, but I think the importance of a guy who ha- who's been there, done that, the pressure doesn't get to him. Well, I mean, it it maybe it might a little bit, but uh, who he just he's just been there and done that. And if you can bring him off the bench as like maybe a twenty as maybe a twenty second or twenty third guy, I mean, you'll have to play him every game, and you'll still have the young guys starting and taking the majority of the minutes, but. I know we're arguing about not we're discussing about something three out uh, three years ahead, but I, I think I think he could play a valuable role on a, on a roster as just a bench player, but not a player that has to play every minute or whatever. This is my two cents. Joseph, continue. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. I just I'm, I'm a little bit scared with Bradley. I remember I think it was against Colombia, the friendly back in what was that October? I think, <laughs> and mm. he came on in that sort of you know spot sub appearance role, and I, maybe it was the system, maybe it was people players not understanding their defensive responsibilities under Sarikin but I seem to remember Bradley being a little bit more of a liability than an asset off the bench but I think to qualify that in a in a distinct system with clear instructions maybe that wouldn't be the case but I'd personally be more inclined to sure if you want Michael Bradley on the roster that's fine I'd rather him probably not ever see the field but i i totally understand <laughs> what you're coming like the angle you're coming from maybe maybe michael bradley's what the 23rd man on the roster maybe you have him just as a voice 
And it, it's yeah. actually, uh, I think, Aran, you, you do raise a fair point. Think about it. There's going to be an eight-year gap or eight-and-a-half-year gap because the World Cup is going to be played in December from the – you know, what U.S. men's national team player will have played in the World Cup last? What about Josie Altador? Will he have room? He, remember, he's uh, 28, 29. So he's going to be younger than Michael Bradley. He pulled his uh, – was it his hamstring in 2014? Uh, uh, against, I think so, yeah. Against Ghana within, I don't know, the within the first 20 minutes. So does he have the experience? I don't know. He, he didn't play it out. Michael Bradley might fill in that experience level, but – Use the Gold Cup, and then you got to sign up the U.S. Men's National Team for other competitions or create a new competition that allows for further uh, development and better competition. The Gold Cup is not – it's something that people look at and be like, how is this helping the U.S. Men's National Team? They don't have the opportunity to play in Carnival or in UEFA where it is grinding results Every time you play a friendly, because you're playing against nations of equal or higher stature than yourself, especially if you're, you know, a smaller nation. Guys, I've got the solution. Okay. Uh, let's just bring, you know, it's it's not complicated. Let's just bring, uh, shoot, what's his name? Oh, my goodness. Oh, there we go. Let's just bring Demarcus Beasley, you know? <laughs> yes. 2022 starting left back. I think that's all. Jesus, man. How old will he be? Like 40? Man, Five. I'm getting old. I couldn't even remember his name. That guy's still Jeez. around. Still and around. He's, and he's still playing really good, too. Like, for a guy his age. Like, Yeah, no. I'm, yeah, I'm on board, Armand. All right, I'm on board. You you, you got you got me, Joseph. You yeah, got me. Yeah, tweet, tweet at us, Unc Sam Soccer Pod, at Joe and Cleet. Do you agree? Marcus Beasley should be the starting left back in 2022. But uh, moving – Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> They Moving. send all your hate mail to Joe and Cleese. <laughs> yeah, w- welcome to the uh, hate if, mail if segment. You hate, if you hate my if you hate my Michael Bradley uh, uh, take, you can uh, send it, your hate mail to at Joe and Cleese. And... I'm just trying to take the heat off. But uh, biggest holes or flaws in this U.S. men's national team, and you you can maybe talk about it in the January camp, or you could just talk about it as as a whole. Uh, what does Burhalter have to worry about most here? And Armand, let's begin with you. I would say defensively. Um, look, we, look, DeAndre Yedlin does play in Newcastle, but I'm not 100% sold on on his play. Uh, I don't think he's a competent left back yet, right? Uh, he starts within, I mean, week in and week out. We just said this last week. I, I mean, yeah. that's. I said that, that it's great for him, but I'm just still not sold on him. Uh, he's, he's made a few errors for uh, Newcastle, and – you know, I think Reggie Cannon could, you know, sweep up and, you know, take that spot. But I think that's also my Reggie Cannon bias kicking in. So, because um, we're here at FC Dallas quota for today. So, we, 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 just, we, we just hit that. Thank you, guys. But, I mean, look, John Brooks has, you know, struggled, has struggled to stay, a little, to stay healthy. Uh, Miazga, mm, I remember that Matt Doyle tweet where he talked about how uh, Miazga would be better than John Stone's. Yikes! Uh, that's that that that's it. That's in a pen out as well. Hot take, police! And you're hot arrested. Hot take, police! You're under arrest, Matt Doyle. And uh, left back, I think we have Ant- there's Anthony Robinson who's getting a, a lot of minutes, and he has this weird tendency to try to use his pace uh, 
when he gets beat to you know make up for it. So he'll get beat and then trace his pace to catch up, and that usually doesn't work when you have a guy like Neymar on your uh, on your side. So I think defensively, like Berhalter, I think this is a work uh, cut out for him. And if he can, you know, there's a lot of good players coming up. Uh, I think Aaron Long also has a shot at you know trying to get uh, trying to get some minutes there. But I'm more I'm a little bit more worried defensively, um, but I'm also very negative when it comes to the U.S. national team. so I think you copied off my notes, Armand, because um, I think yeah. I have almost exactly what you just said typed out about DeAndre Yedlin and, and left back in the left back spot as well. I'm not sold on Yedlin either, especially, you know, not just because he's maybe not been great for the U.S. over the past you know, year or whatever, but... It, I don't know that he's a great fit for how Berhalter likes to play. I don't think Yedlin's a very, like, he doesn't bring a lot of value on the ball. He's He's got pace and he can he can get wide and stretch opposing uh, defenses out, but he doesn't have great passing ability. Like, you know, you see Harrison Offal for the crew, and mm-hmm. I feel like he's a real asset in that, in that system with the ball. And I'm not sure Yedlin brings that. And then on the left... Uh, I'm really interested to see how Greg Garza does in this camp because mm-hmm. I think that actually might be a winnable spot. I think Anthony Robinson has potential, and I'm not saying we should give up on him by any stretch, but you know, you're playing a World Cup qualifier in Honduras. Maybe that's Greg Garza that you want starting at left back. I don't know, but I'm intrigued to see him. Are you worried about where the goals are coming from? Like I know defensively that that's a big flaw. I know defensively we have issues. Um, and it's weird to think that we, the United States has had issues defensively because historically it seems that's position or that's kind of the area of the field that we're more solid in. And it was, it's always been offensively the creativity. Where's that going to come from? Now, the midfield, I think we're, we're pretty talented across the board. If you look at it as a whole, now this is oversimplifying it, but where are the goals coming from? Because we don't have a consistent, one-two punch, you know, is it Bobby Wood? Is it Jesse Sardis? Is it some of the young guys? Sergeant, Weya? What What are we doing to produce goals? What is going to get into the back of the net? And is Christian Pulisic under Burhalter going to play more centrally where he's going to be that 10? Or is he going to be more of that, you know, that winger, that seven that flies and up and down the 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 pitch? So, Joe, Joseph, correct me if I'm wrong, but Burhalter ran what, like a 4 2 3 1 of yeah, sorts? Yeah, with, mostly uh, 4 2 3 1. Yeah, with Inguain with more of a free roll, uh, Zardes up top, and then Santos and uh, I guess Miram on the wings, and the, the fullbacks kind of booming up and down the pitch, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Uh, I would say Pulisic is more central in that instance because from what I've seen of the crew, which is a lot because of ESPN plus he has a, he has a, he has a, Inguain has a really free role. Am I wrong by saying that Joseph? I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong about that. No. Yeah. I think he has a relatively free role, but I can also see him being played on the wing too. So it's kind of one of those things where Berhalter is going to have to weigh his options and be like, okay, where is Pulisic going to be best for that, for the roster? Because I could see Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney playing next to each other um, in in a in a four two three one with, I guess you'd have Adams be more. I you they they could switch on and off, but I have Adams more back and I'd have McKinney a little bit more up or vice versa. I mean, it's more of a it's more of a preference thing. 
I don't know who you'd put that center attacking mid outside of Pulisic. Unless I'm like thinking too narrow minded. You know, you raise an interesting point because I was thinking the same thing. And don't do you have to consider Joseph Pulisic's max? Like where can you maximize Pulisic? Is if he is say hundred percent on the wing and centrally he's only eighty two percent. Do you take the eighty two percent of Pulisic's max potential over the hundred percent where he's comfortable on that wing? That's a really great way to phrase the question because the I mean, the answer the short answer is I don't know. Uh, the long answer is I think you personally my preference would be to take the hundred percent on the wing and play without sort of that Iguain style playmaker simply because I don't think Pulisic is is that like for like replacement Iguain. From what I've seen of him, and I can't say that I've seen a ton of the crew. I've seen a good bit, but you have ESPN um, Plus, Joseph. Come no, on. I do. I just on, I'm not grinding those crew games like you are, man. <laughs> um, but I think Pulisic is a little bit more of a type of player that likes to drive into space, whereas Iguain does that. But maybe it's more of a connector between midfield and attack. And I could be wrong about that, but I think Pulisic might be better in that Justin Miram role, where he starts out wide. And maybe he, he comes into midfield to add another number and to give the U.S. an advantage. And then Pulisic has the ball at his feet and he can drive forward from there. So personally, my preference from a tactical standpoint would, would be to see him maybe start on the right and then come in, drift in slightly into midfield and then move the ball up from there. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see either central or out wide. What, what about the goal scoring? Do you have a worry with finding someone who can be a regular and somebody where there can be a, a chemistry built around because I think with all these young guys and just the lot of them you got to start dwindling down on a core that you're going to be able to just get them in rotation let them feel each other because that's the hardest part about national team football is building chemistry or just regularity that, you know, club football has a huge advantage where you see these guys week in and week out consistently. Yeah, I think there is a concern about where the goals are coming from. Uh, you know, Pulisic can provide obvious benefits in attack, but if if maybe we're just saying it's a 4-3-3, you know, as a basic example, who's playing striker and who's on the left wing, maybe two, three years from now, Josh Sargent and Timmy Wea or Jonathan Amen on the left maybe are regular starters at a at a decent sized club and you know you can rely on them to score some goals. But right now, even just looking at this January camp roster, the forwards are Abobasi, who's more of a hold up guy, Christian Ramirez and Zardes, who you know are known for their goal scoring. But I don't know how they translate on the international level. So I mean, are you looking at Altador still? I, I don't know. I the the answer is yeah, we should be concerned about where the goals are coming from. At least that's my take. Wow, I would be intrigued to see Wea and Outdoor play off each other. You know, have Wea with his runs pull off, have and, and have Outdoor as more of that target guy. I mean, I'd be really interested to see that. But I, I, am I concerned? Of course, I'm concerned. It's US Men's National Team. I have confidence that they win a 2022 World Cup, and I'm still concerned. Come on, uh, Zardes works really well, and uh, with Berhalter's system. And I was actually talking to Harrison Crow, uh, a good friend of Joseph, uh, about this. He he writes for American Soccer Analysis, and it's a great website. You should go check it out. It's a data analytic website. And he to- he showed me that he showed me a number that was really interesting, which is how much Zardes is involved in possession, leading up to the cruise play, and it's not much. So so think about it. In Borhalter's system, Zardes is not involved in the possession as much. He's just there to score goals. That's a defined role. 
And I think that's why Zardes, I think, is going to have a little bit of a head start over everyone else because he played that role that Burhalter gave him, not perfectly, but pretty damn close to it. So, I mean, in that role with, Burl, with, with Burhalter, I would say Zardes is a good fit. I'm not that concerned, but in this camp, okay, maybe a little bit because they don't have Pulisic. What? Just saying. It, I think it's very hard to when we talk about these holes and flaws. We're talking about the U.S. men's national team adding as in as a whole, as yep. a whole, adding in all those European-based players. You can't really make much of the flaws and holes in this January roster because it's it's a training camp. It's you're going to pick pick players to get experience to to introduce them to to the national team and and see where they are in their development. So it's. It's complicated with the U.S. men's national team. We have a coach. We'll see how it is. I mean, these two friendlies coming up, uh, can we make much of them? Yes. I think I, we actually can. I, and I, I think I'd agree. Sorry to cut you off, Armand. I think maybe to go back slightly to the last question about where the goals are coming from, these friendlies will give us an idea of where they're coming from. I think there's a real chance that the scoring comes from the system and from – the players playing in a cohesive, you know, possession scheme and moving down the field as a unit. This is in a perfect world, obviously. And maybe it matters less who the players scoring the goals are and more how effective the system is at creating a high number of those goal scoring chances. Listen, Burhalter's system was good. Now imagine it with the best players uh, in the U.S. men's national team pool. That's what I'm interested to see. And these friendlies do have meeting because you'll see Burhalter implement his system so we can at least get an idea of what he wants to do. I think that's the most important thing. We got Look, it's going to be a January camp. They're not going to be the best players. But I want to see what he wants to do, what we should be looking for with those key players and some trademark Burhalter things, such as maybe the forward not being as involved in the build-up as possession, uh, in the build-up to possession. The fullbacks, how do they perform? Uh, the, the midfields, the low blocks, etc. I'm really interested to see how Burhalter sets up. Uh, because it's the first glimpse we're going to have as him, you know, being head coach. We can talk about him being a head coach all we want. We have been for the last year and a half. But let's let's see how he does now, and let's see what he brings to the table. Well, Joseph, a lot smoother than last time you were on. <laughs> you could uh, follow him, follow him, listeners, Joe and Cleet. Wonderful content. Love his pieces for The Athletic. Follow Armand Kafai at Armand Kafai. Catch his work on Pro Soccer USA. I'm Steven Jodrand. Come back tomorrow. We got some MLS chat for you. And yeah, tweet us, Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Give us your thoughts with this U.S. men's national team. Anything that we alluded to on the show today, maybe you have some other points that you want, you missed, that we missed. Kabiri 4, a player that you're watching in training camp. Let us know. Till next time. Welcome back to Uncle Sam's American Soccer Podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to go back and listen to myself, Stephen Jodrin, and our guest, Joseph Lowry, talking about the U.S. Men's National Team training camp, the U.S. Men's National Team as a whole. You can follow me on Twitter at Armankafai. You can follow Stephen Jodrin at Twitter at Stephen Jodrin. And you can follow Joseph Lowry, our special guest from The Athletic, on Twitter at Joe and Cleats. Let's jump into the episode. Thank you.
So we just got done talking about the U.S. men's national team in our last episode. Now we're going to talk about everyone's favorite league. Come on. Come on. You guys got to stay with me. All right. Say Major League Soccer. Come on. One, One two, three. Indian Super Major, League. Major League oh Soccer. Oh, my God. What the? Indian Super League? You don't even watch the Indian Super League. I have. You've never watched the Indian Super League. Yes, I have. No, you haven't. I've watched two minutes. You've watched probably two minutes, yeah, on ESPN <laughs> Plus because you're bored at like 6 a.m. Because yep. I've done the same thing. There we go. <laughs> I think we all have. It, I, I, yeah, it's not good soccer. But on, on is, a, actually, on a side note, guys, where does Major League Soccer rank as far as the world leagues? Do, well, I'm really throwing a, a question like that, like right off the bat, man. No, but like, has has it changed the last couple of years, or are we still bubbling on the same as it was three or four years ago? Oh, it's changed. I mean, come on, with a team like Atlanta United coming in, they're fun, entertaining football, they're loud, they're loud crowd, and the players that are now coming to MLS is definitely changed perception wise. I think perception-wise, it probably is starting to change. I'm not convinced on the whole it's necessarily risen a whole lot in terms of other leagues, but I'm optimistic that it, it is slowly changing and definitely will rise. Yeah, Remember, yeah, no, I think uh, you're right there. I think on the club level, like individual clubs, it cha- it's completely different from Atlanta to Colorado to the Revs to LAFC to Seattle and TFC. Like, you know, every club is on its own level. And discussion for another day. I, just, I thought I'd throw that out there since we're talking about the Indian Super League. Now, listeners, we're chatting about the philosophy of MLS draft. And then we're going to get into a different philosophical issue of FC Dallas versus the Atlanta United model. So we'll, we'll talk about that, but let's get to the draft. Now, Armand, you have really awesome feelings about MLS draft, don't you? I hate MLS draft, but I I think yesterday, uh, well, we're recording this on, what, Thursday? So on, on Wednesday, we saw a trade uh, happen between the Philadelphia Union and FC Cincinnati. Uh, the Union... <laughs> Basically, Union Sporting Director Ernst Tanner came in, looked at, went to the combine, and said, "Yeah, we're not going to get any of the guys. We don't, we only think two or three guys are going to really be good for developmental purposes. So we're not, we're we're not going to pick." And he traded all their draft picks to FC Cincinnati for a grand total of one hundred fifty thousand dollars in uh, uh, general allocation money, or as we call it, GAM on this show. Uh, they had a 13th overall pick and then, you know, some other irrelevant picks in there. And Tanner was quoted in, uh, I'm referring to an article on Pro Soccer USA. You can read my stuff there as well. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had to throw a plug in there. I had to. Uh, he said the level of MLS has increased a lot. And I think that the level of the universities has been more or less the same. There's quite a big gap. Out of what I've seen, there are a lot of players who are quite okay for the USL level, but doesn't make us better in MLS. Uh, I think Steven, Jake, and I had a good discussion about this uh, off the mic, and I'll bring it to you. Uh, bring it to y'all in a second. But Joseph, what do you think of the draft as a whole? It seems like it's losing relevance year in and year out. We, we've, we're hearing reports that values for draft picks are lowering. I think a value for a draft pick last year was around you know six digits, but the union trade all their picks for one hundred fifty thousand dollars, uh, one hundred fifty thousand dollars in drug allocation money. So it seems to have gone down a little bit, but overall, it's, it's, do you think the draft's a good asset for teams to utilize? Mm, uh, honestly, no, not really. I think, I think Tanner kind of has it right here. 
there's not the the level of players that are being drafted are not necessarily major league soccer level and i don't think anyone expects them necessarily to be at that level right away but you know for a team like the union what's what's the motivation for them to draft players when they have a usl team that they can you know filter their academy guys through or, or assign players that they can assign from a wide wider pool of players that they can bring in I mean, I don't know what the motivation is for them to, you know, to get all excited about the draft when they have other resources that they can use that are maybe even uh, more functional. Doesn't doesn't this illustrate the problem within U.S. soccer structure that here's MLS, this up and coming league growing. Now it has surpassed the college ranks, well past college ranks in the point that it's almost insignificant, meaningless so if you're a youngster, you can't get into an MLS academy. What do you do? You go to college. Well, if you can't go pro, what are you doing, right? So MLS has a really tough task on what to do. But this is a, a broader issue is what's the college game even worth anymore? If the coaching, if the development of players there are so putrid that it's US, USL level, then just make the draft USL based and you allow MLS teams to start buying for some money for usl so you, you create a market for players and you allow youngsters to go get ex professional experience but you allow mls to do their own thing maybe maybe this is you know tinfoil ted here i look at the draft i mean i've spoken to people who do play collegiate soccer who have played collegiate soccer and they tell me how how it's not necessarily the coaching but it's it's the scheduling that's brutal on them. You know, playing two games a week uh, is pretty tough on a lot of these guys because, A, they're not pros, and, B, you know, they, have to, and they need to impress. So, you know, sitting out with an injury may not be an option for some of these guys because they want to improve their stock and they'll play through injury, and that just, that just uh, hampers them later on in their career. It, the, the draft, I think, coaching-wise, there is, there is some value there. I know... Many people have talked great about their college coaches, but I think it's just a format that's just really bad and really brutal on the body. And it's it makes people I know a guy, D one player, doesn't want to play pro. That that shouldn't be that shouldn't be an expectation. I mean, I, I feel like you know, like you should always have the aspiration to go pro, but he, he just says, No, I don't want to go pro. I mean, college game is kinda, you know, my knees, my knees hurt, everything hurts. Like, I don't know if I want to play. It's, it's stuff it's stuff like that. And the college game itself, MLS teams are punting on a draft now. I think Montreal traded all their picks last year, and now the Union have done it as well. Look, I, I, I said this to Steven multiple times. If you're not a GA player, if I was a GM, I would only draft Generation Ideas players. They don't go against your they, – they, they don't count as a cap hit, basically. And also, you know what? If, it, if they don't work out because they're not a cap hit, all right, doesn't affect, your cap doesn't affect your spending. Who cares? Move on. And they're the best players. They're probably going to be the best players available in this draft, uh, which is why, I mean, carrying on to another uh, topic or another conversation, I don't think Philadelphia uh, or the, the Cincinnati made the right deal in acquiring these late-round, first-round picks. These usually don't pan out as much. If you go top five, top eight, top ten, you have a higher success rate. But these later ones, okay, you're filling out your roster, but, like, so what? You know, half these guys don't develop. And they're usually just really poor. I don't know. That's just my, my two cents in the draft and how it's kind of just depreciating. The, the combine is going to go away. 
like what are like what wait what's like what are we actually valuing here? I think the draft should be two rounds deep, and I, like I think Steve made a good point. Make the rest of the draft made for the USL. Make the USL draft. I, I think it was an Indiana player who actually went straight to the USL and uh, didn't return for college. Let them develop there. Not- yeah, I think looking at college, the college game is not set up in an optimal way to develop players. I mean, what we talked about, you, you talked about among the physical difficulties and the grind that it, it puts on your body. And what are the, how many, how many months does the season span? Three, four months? I think Whereas, it's shorter. It's like a little is it is it a little shorter or a little, it, it sure. might be shorter than that. I mean yeah. but so if we assume that it's a couple months long, where players around the rest of the world or players even in America who aren't playing in the college game are playing 10, 11 months out of the year. So I mean, I don't the fact that we look at the draft now and we're we're questioning it is a good thing. How how do we expect players to come out of college and be professional level players? It's it's not realistic so i think we're going to see more less and less emphasis on from mls teams on the draft and we're also going to see fewer and fewer top talents going to college and playing there no you're you're right joseph so i mean this is exactly my point college game does not develop anybody so what's the point of mls putting stock into it so mls has a tough task here ahead trying to figure out but there's USL, and USL has rebranded itself. So why not allow the D3 leagues or the D2 or, sorry, the, the second and third league within USL to get some of these college players at a younger age? And then you start to build a market and you allow these players to grow. I mean, what is the philosophy of USL for especially in in the third or was it? So you have USL, the championship in League One, right? Am I getting it confused now? Yeah, championship, League One, League Two. League, league two. two is more amateur. Amateur, yeah. League Two, allow these colleges to come into League Two, and then maybe League One says, oh, that's a good player, and then you get into USL, and maybe MLS takes a flyer on a, on a young guy or a cheap guy. There is no market structure within U.S. soccer allow players to move up like you see in other leagues where, you know, we all know the famous story of Jamie Vardy, but even in Golo Conte, where did he come from? Was the second division in league league two in France? I, I I think specifically they should just make a USL draft, and I think you're right, Steven. Make a USL draft, and go and and go from there. But there's got to be more investment in USL for a player to to say, hey, look, I'm willing to make twenty twenty five k a year over like what I can make graduating with a degree, and that's the big issue, right? Didn't uh, we saw what Brandon Vincent retire? At a young age, uh, he had a Stanford degree. Uh, I think it was like tw- 24. We've seen a lot of players now retire. I know a couple, I think it was a couple of FC Dallas guys. Uh, I can't remember their names. Uh, I think Timo Pitter and uh, something uh, Bonner. I forgot his name. Uh, he had a really good Instagram name uh, that one time. <laughs> yeah, his, his Instagram name was Raging Bonner. So if, if that's a any uh, great top five top five Instagram names I've ever seen one and the MLS MLS page put it on there I just can't remember his first name but these guys retire and they make more money with their college degrees so there has to be more investment into USL uh, before I think players are like oh hey I'm going to take that risk or something like that because it's not sustainable right. to be honest with you to play in that league for as long as they do last but, thoughts Joseph last thoughts Joseph yeah I was going to say no, I think I think we're basically all on the same page here. I think 
USL continuing to develop and get more exposure will help will help provide an alternative for college players because I mean we see it we see it happening right now. The MLS draft is being devalued by the teams that do the drafting. So I think USL is is a very good option. Or you know we could you know revitalize the college game and give them a nine month schedule, but we all know that's not going to happen. So yeah, it's it's a tough situation. So, let's talk about another philosophical difference. And I think Steven is really excited to talk about this. Yes. Uh, I know Joseph might be as well, but I think oh, his excitement was all used for the U.S. Men's National Team segment. So, <laughs> um, it's a philosophy between FC Dallas and Atlanta United. And specifically these two, I think a quote popped up to me and Steven. Uh, he was uh, Luchi Gonzalez, the new head coach at FC Dallas. I actually have a couple interviews with him on Pro Soccer USA. I plug it again. The FC Dallas quota, you know how it is. Um, we've maxed that quota. Yeah, we've maxed that quota. Uh, he spoke about, you know, using the academy to win championships and sell young players. He says to Extra Time Radio, FC Dallas has a unique opportunity to use the academy to both win championships and sell young players, just like the best clubs in uh, Portugal, Holland, Belgium, and Croatia do. Uh, there isn't one way to win MLS. It doesn't have to be development or winning. We believe we can do both. Now, the Atlanta United method seems to be a lot different. They seem to buy up. They seem to buy up and coming South American players, put them in their, uh, put them on their squad, and you know spend lots of money. So there's a huge debate between: Hey, can you develop to win, or do you buy and develop uh, that already developed talent to win? I think and- it's a really interesting. Dynamic. Yes, Armand, perfect. This leads to my question. When is the last time an MLS winner, name it, Joseph or Armand, or just a tweet us, Unc Sam Soccer Pod, that won based on the Academy? Because quite frankly, I haven't seen that. And we can go through the list if you want. Yeah, I was actually going to pull up the list. I mean, but- do the do we count this past season's Red Bulls? as winning or as using their academy to get them at least to a supporter shield? That's a genuine question. I don't know. I think, yes, you can. That's a good, good point. But uh, let's just, uh, but no, th- we talk about, no, no, no but let's, but here, the, the way I think about it is this, and my mentality has changed. Um, I used to think the supporter shield had a meaning. No one cares. The MLS <laughs> cover bus. That's fair. That's fair. Armand, Armand has uh, finally made the, the walk of faith to my side. Welcome well, buddy. Thing. I mean, Welcome. when you, when you, when you, when you, uh, uh, look through, um, you know, just his, the, the history, and you see a team. No one talks about uh, the Red Bulls being supporters' shield, and this is being someone in the MLS media. Yep, we care, but three no and one six talks years, and no one cares. No three one cares. Six years. It's three. the Red Bulls always choke when they go to MLS Cup or MLS playoffs. That's what we talk about. No one talks about the whole uh, supporters' shield. That's crap. All right. Uh, but so Atlanta this past year they spent Toronto in 2017 they spent how about Seattle in 2016 they spend yes or no yes yeah okay yeah. uh Portland in 2015 two to one win over Columbus they spent money correct? yeah yeah 2014 LA Galaxy versus the Revs both clubs spent money was that the Jermaine Jones game yep the Jermaine Jones but yep so. You can go on through the list. 
I I'm sorry, but the just the last five years, what team has won on Academy? What team has developed a team to go on to win? Now, selling players to make money is one thing. We we just saw FC Dallas make a wonderful deal. Yet he had not contributed a single second to uh, MLS or FC Dallas in on the field play or even, you know, anything like that. Yeah, sure, they made money. But I, I think going after young players and developing through the the academy is a lot more difficult in MLS than it is in Portugal, Holland, Belgium, Switzerland, Croatia, all these smaller nations. And can I jump in? I I think I agree with you, Stephen. Why is it more difficult for a team like FC Dallas, as an example, to develop talent and you know compete for a championship than you know teams in the Netherlands or teams in Portugal and Belgium, et cetera? What what makes it more challenging? That that's. Well, that's a great well, question. My, well, my 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 guess is this: you're not going to keep that talent for long, right? So you're not if unless you do not play the guys, you're not like for example, Paxson, Pomacall, etc. He has not been playing much, so he's not really on the radar of specific teams. But as soon as a guy starts playing, what Reggie Cannon played one season, he's on the radar. He had offers from teams uh, this past season, and you want to know why? Because they're cheap undervalued talent this is why they we we speak about this quote-unquote uh market inefficiency that i've kind of coined um that these american-based talents are they're not valued as high on the transfer market and they're cheap and teams are starting to take notice so what happens if a player does well after one one or two seasons he's gone is that ample enough time to develop a player to for a championship winning team? Armand, Armand, I, I think you're overstating it. How if if this were the case, we'd see a lot more players flee fleeing MLS. It would be the Brazilian league where players are well, leaving well, halfway through the season. But 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 they need. But here's the thing: they're cheap, undervalued talent, right? But they still need more time to sh- to show that they're cheap, undervalued talent. If that makes sense because the perception of American players is kind of meh. Right, but if that, if that makes any sense. Uh, but I think you that's one point. I think there's also the coaching dynamic because I read interview after interview and God, who was it? Now, I'm drawing a blank, but one of the players was basically telling – I don't remember where I read this, so forgive me – was saying that the coaches worry too much about the results. What are they playing for? Hey, that was my interview, baby. <laughs> that was my interview. Was it Cannon? Cannon? Yeah, it was. I'll pull it up. Why do you talk about it? All right, but Cannon there was basically saying that there's too much focus on the result that they don't get the opportunity to play the young kids. And then, you, but then how's that possible that they do that in Europe? And you're not playing, you're playing for Champions League, Europa League football, but when you lose, there's a potential possibility of relegation. That doesn't exist in MLS. So the excuses of not playing young kids in MLS is what? So, do you want me to read the Cannon quote for you? Sure. Uh, he goes, I think in Europe, if they see potential in you, they'll give you a chance. But in MLS, I feel like it's we got to get these three points this weekend, and whatever is going to make that happen, we're going to do it. They may not play the kids that are ready, and I think it's hindering some of them, and that's why kids are going to Europe. I think MLS has gotten a lot better at it, especially FC Dallas. I mean, we're, we're playing a 20-year-old every single game. Uh, I think MLS is getting a lot better, and I think FC Dallas kind of shaped that model. But I just got to tell the kids in the league, it's actually worth it. 
And that's what Canon said to me. And why? It's such an interesting perspective. Why shouldn't MLS be the league where you can play your kids? There's no relegation. The Rapids aren't getting relegated. The Earthquakes aren't getting relegated. <laughs> exactly. Why are teams – This, I mean, this is just my constant question. Why are teams so hesitant to to play the Paxton Pomacals or, you know, to play the Bucios, to play the Bellows? I, it just it, – it boggles my mind because if you – oh, you dropped a couple points. Oh, no. Like, what's – I mean, it's – there's little risk, basically, from my perspective. Yeah, it's a results-driven league still. Coaches want to win. Players want to win. The best players – are going to be the ones out there on the field. But I'm not convinced that it's an impossible model for FC Dallas and Luchi Gonzalez to implement. They have a better academy infrastructure than a lot of other teams in the league do, and they are producing talent. I mean, we saw it at the the CONCACAF U20 championships with Cervania and Palma Cal sort of bossing the field, at least from my perspective. So I think the infrastructure is is starting to appear. Some clubs are farther along than others, but whether it's a winnable, whether you can win with the philosophy, whether you can win an MLS Cup with the philosophy, I'm not sure we'll find out the actual answer to that within the next few years. I think it could take several years for us to to get a solid answer to that question. But I'm excited to see what FC Dallas are going to look like. Uh, and I think if you produce the talent and you play the talent, and it is genuine talent, I don't see why you couldn't win games with it. So uh, I think... I think, Armand, you alluded to this. If you think about the European leagues, Belgium, Croatia, Switzerland, Portugal, so on, and go through the list, players, if these clubs play the youngsters, you can make a pretty penny off them. In MLS, you're getting crap, right? So if FC Dallas is producing these talents now, like, say, a Tyler, even with the Red Bulls, is they're not getting near as much as if these players were the same age playing at the equivalent of that club in Europe. Like, I, I always wonder, what would Chris Richards cost a club in, say, Belgium for Bayern Munich? Would he have costed them three or four million versus the 1.5 that FC Dallas got? It, and that's the thing. The, it's undervalued thing. So when a player is going to come up and, you know, is reaching, you know, because a lot of these players that come in kind of raw and they work and they and then they work their way up with experience. I mean, Cannon didn't come in and boom off the scenes immediately. It was like, wow, this guy's amazing. No, he worked his way and developed confidence going up and down the pitch. And that's when we started talking about, oh, wow, Reggie Cam might be one of the best right backs in MLS. That's when we started talking about the, the, these things. Not not from the get go. So it takes time for these guys to develop. And I don't think we've even seen the best of Reggie Cannon just yet. And as soon as that happens, they're gone. And they're gone because they're cheap. Yeah, no, That's the most important thing. But the the juxtaposition with Atlanta is not like Atlanta's going out there and signing 50 million players. They're still signing young players hoping to make a pretty penny off of them. So the philosophies aren't necessarily all that different. What is unique is Atlanta spends the money to bring in young talent from South America. FC Dallas is looking within. And obviously, FC Dallas has had some sort of success over the course of the last couple seasons but it's always caught them short atlanta i think maybe learned their first year and that was ultimately got them over the top this past season where they won mls cup so you're i think joe joseph you're completely correct in the sense that we don't really know which philosophy is going to go further or is going to be more successful in the long run i would really like to see a team 
really invest in their youth, hold on to them, and then be an Ajax where, you know, they suddenly cause a stir in in MLS where they, you know, this team out of nowhere gets pretty far in MLS. Not because they spent the money or they have these veteran players, because they got, you know, 20, 25-year-olds playing consistently and there's seven or eight of them that you'd be like wow this player could go here that player can go there he's you know he's potential mvp blah 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 let's see that progress and i'd I'd love to see that sort of thing while you were making that point i i sort of realized maybe that another issue with there being an ajax type team in mls is you know you, you were saying let's get the 24 25 year olds out there and playing and by the time that the just using Paxton Pomacal as an example, by the time that Paxton Pomacal is 24, do we actually think he'll still be in MLS? And I guess this Ex- kind of goes exactly. back to what Armand was saying. Exactly, is that is it- the players aren't sticking around, and and partially it's because we're pushing them to go other places, right? I'm, I mean, we want Tyler Adams to go to Leipzig. We want Weston McKinney to leave FC Dallas's academy and go play for Schalke's U19s, and then for the first team. So it's like we want both things, but we can't have both things. At least right now. But I, I, I do think it's – we haven't seen enough players make the move yet. We, we see them sprinkle. It's starting to sprinkle. The question is when's the heavy pour coming because that's following. The next couple of years, I think you'll just see more and more and more, right? I mean just think about the last two weeks of news, how many players were in between going to Europe or signing with an MLS club. The right, Rezra, exactly. The Revs were stuck between those. Uh, the player – the Revs sign was stuck between I think Celtic and I forget the Fulham maybe. Now I'm just reaching out for clubs here. But – what were they going to do, right? So mm-hmm. it's a real interesting discussion. Uh, Armand, last point. Well, the even I just want to go back to this point real quick. I think the way that we look at relegation and promotion in this country at this stage is playoffs. Um, I think it's do you make the playoffs or not, and that's where the pressure comes. And I know we can say relegation is isn't you know it's not here, but making the playoffs is a real thing. And, you know, owners have expectations. They want to make playoffs. They want to, you know, be involved in that, you know, postseason uh, whatever. Get the money from the tournament, uh, the postseason tournament as well. And, you know, make it because that's that's the level – that's our litmus test for success in MLS. It's not getting promoted or relegated. It's are you going to be one of the fifth, uh, one of the 12 teams out of 20 – or 14 teams out of 24 to make the playoffs. Jeez, that's a terrible number. Um it, it, it so it's really that's a really interesting debate that you could have right there. The pro the, the thing is, and I'm gonna you know I guess circle back to my my initial point is that I don't think we're gonna see the players reach their fruition to be at that level to compete for a championship uh, uh, because they're gonna be they're being plucked away uh, for I guess prices that MLS teams will take. You're gonna take 1.5 million for Chris Richards at FC Dallas, especially when you're balling on a budget. You know that's that's great numbers uh, for for you. And the thing is, I, the thing I would like to see is if a guy like George Bello, which I know is Joseph, one of Joseph's you know favorite little uh, homegrown players, uh, <laughs> if a guy like George Bello can break into Atlanta, now all of a sudden you kind of have a situation, and maybe an Andrew Carlton if he's not partying before the MLS Cup, um, you're gonna have a situation where you have some homegrown Spurgnell spending, and you know. I hate to be that moderate, but if we can get that hybrid of both, well, the dog, now we're Armand, you're making now, way too much sense for MLS now, and MLS now, executives. They're not going to listen. Now, now you, we're talking. Now we're talking you, about you know. You have hit the sunlight in Platonic terms. 
it, now, now, we're, now we're hitting it. But I think teams are are more extreme at this at this stage. It's we want to save as much money as we can and develop our own talent, like the Rapids are trying to do, like FC Dallas is, like like um, Red Bulls. I would Red Bulls is more towards that moderate. He spent seven million on Kaku. Like even though he kind of was kind of boo boo for the last uh, half of the season, uh, he's still he's still seven million dollar signing. Uh, I'm forgetting a team Union. There we go. The Union. Well, there's more. These guys, those guys. So you're making way too much sense for for sorry man MLS. Hey, hire me as a GM. I'll pick all your GAs. (laughs) I'll implement the academy and, and make you spend your money. Like come on. Come on, owners, hire me. Joseph, we want to give you the opportunity to plug where we can find your work, your Twitter, anything else you wanted to plug here on Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Go ahead. I appreciate that. Yeah, you can find me, uh, some of my written work for The Athletic, um, or you know, if you, you really like reading you know, mediocre to average tweets, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe and Cleats. And you know, if, I, if I have any written work for anybody else, you'll see it there. So that's, that's where you can find me. Perfect. Tune in tomorrow for another episode. At the end of the week, the full episode will be put together. So if you miss any of the segments, don't want to go back. You can just wait for the full one. Till next time. From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.